0: Lawyers do only two things for a living, speak persuasively and write persuasively. You would expect that people whose stock in trade is the English language and who are expected to make fine distinctions, to know how to use terms precisely. And the only way to have that skill really is to have spent some time with dictionaries, with good ones, and to have an active curiosity about words.
2: Hello and welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. I'm Craig Williams in Southern California. I write a blog called May It Please the Court. And this is Bob
3: Ambrosi coming to you from just outside of Boston, Massachusetts, where I write a blog called Law Sites and also another blog called Media Law.
2: And Bob, before we introduce today's topic, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Clio, an online practice management software program for lawyers at goclio.com.
3: Craig, on May 9th, the Black's Law Dictionary is about to come out in its 10th edition. Uh, As many of our listeners will know well, Black's Law Dictionary is the de facto gold standard for legal dictionaries in the United States. It uh, is named for its founder, Henry Campbell Black, who published the first edition in 1891. Today is the reference of choice for uh, lawyers writing legal briefs and judges writing court opinions and has been cited By the Supreme Court, uh, as well as by many other courts.
2: Well, and here to discuss this topic in person, we have Professor Brian Garner. We'd like to welcome him to the show, but a little bit on his bona fides. He is a U.S. lawyer. He's a lexicographer, a teacher who has written several books about the English usage and style, including Garner's Modern American Usage and the Elements of Legal Style, He's served as an editor-in-chief of Black's Law Dictionary since 1995. He founded Law Prose Incorporated and co-authored two books with Justice Antonin Scalia, Making Your Case, The Art of Persuading Judges, and Reading Law, The Interpretation of Legal Texts. And personally, I've taken several of Professor Garner's seminars on writing, and he is the best. Welcome to our show, Professor Garner.
0: Well, thank you for your kind words.
2: Well, Brian, let me just start by asking you, uh, why in the heck do
3: we need another edition of Black's Law Dictionary? Has the language of the law really changed all that much since the last edition came out?
0: Well, lexicography is a very challenging task. It's an ongoing thing, and it's not necessarily that the language changes, although that's certainly true, and there are thousands of of new terms coming into to the law, and some of them are very unexpected. For example, there's a new Latin term, Lex Sportiva Internationalis, and that is the international law of sports. But among international lawyers who do sports law, this is a a new Latinism, and it's uh, used around the world. So that kind of thing has to to go in. There are about 7,500 new entries in this edition, but really what is so valuable is the additional research that my colleagues and I were able to do to add so much more historical depth. I mean, just in browsing through the 2,000 pages, this is the biggest law dictionary ever produced. You get the whole sweep of legal history from Roman law to Anglo-Saxon law to the most modern legal concepts and, and the history of them.
2: Well, are we going to change the name soon to Garner's or Garner's and Blacks or Blacks and Garner's?
0: Well, Thomson Reuters suggested that, but uh, I think not. It's a grand old tradition. Black's Law Dictionary has held sway in law for a long time. But my publisher, Thomson Reuters, and before that, West, have allowed me to re-research and essentially rewrite the entire dictionary to bring it up to the, the highest scholarly standards that we could achieve. Both to reflect the law and to reflect uh, legal scholarship in all its uh, breadth and depth.
3: Brian, can you, uh, you said there have been, I think, 7,500 new terms in this edition. Can you give us some examples? Uh, what's new in this edition?
0: Well, uh, there are a lot of new international law terms, there are hundreds of new intellectual property terms, all kinds of different patents. I mean, we've had for a couple of editions now, business method patent, but uh, I think we've added patent troll to this edition, submarine patents, utility patent, process patent, paper patent, pioneer patent, improvement patent. I mean, every kind of patent you could think of. So there are particular fields of law. Family law is covered much more thoroughly. There are words relating to legal sociology. Law talk is one. Law talk, believe it or not, was first used in 1867, and we, we date the earliest known usage of each term, rather like the Oxford English Dictionary, the earliest known use of every term in the English language. Another sociological law term is law way, which is analogous to folk way, and it's used by sociological legal writers, law-worthy, There's just so many terms in different fields. I mean, essentially, I have had to canvass the literature uh, on law, both judicial opinions and scholarly writings on law, to be sure that we cover the entire legal vocabulary.
2: Have you seen anything creep in from the social media side yet or, or legal technology? E-discovery, is that one of the words you've added?
0: Uh, e-discovery, let me just look that up. I, I feel certain that e-discovery is in here. You're going to embarrass me if it's not somehow. Let me just look. E-discovery. Boy, I...
3: Quick, tell Thompson Reuters I... to stop the presses.
0: <laughs> we have e-document. <laughs> let me look up Discovery e-discovery. I mean, if not, it'll have to go into the 11th, but we do cover uh, lots of new technological things. And then we, we even cover the blogs. One blogger at Above the Law, a man named David Latt, introduced three terms that were widely enough used that they made it into this 10th edition. One is bench slap, as a solid word, bench slap. And it's used for a a judge who slaps down a a lawyer who perhaps makes a frivolous argument or an objection that the judge is overruling, but the judge acts extremely peremptorily in doing that. Uh, And, of course, it is modeled on the objectionable term bitch slap, but uh, it's a pun in a way, and uh, it was widely enough used that we decided to include it. Another is judicial diva, uh, who's a judge who craves sycophancy a judge who craves lawyers who lower themselves to him or her and uh, what is the other one? Oh, David Latt coined litigatrix, which is a female litigator, especially what he thought it was a combination of litigator and dominatrix, but in fact, our research revealed. The litigatrix is an archaic term as well that goes all the way back to the 18th century, first used in 1771.
3: Talk a little bit about what goes into this. I mean, you're, you're the editor-in-chief, but you have a, a team of others who work with you on updating the dictionary. can you, you describe a little bit about some of those people and what they do?
0: Well, yes. I have a small army who work on Black's Law Dictionary. At times, I feel like a general marshalling my troops. Ultimately, I have final say on, on what goes in the dictionary and how it's written, but we have had wonderful help, not only from my five lawyer colleagues at LawPros, Caroline Garner, Becky McDaniel, Jeff Newman, and Tiger Jackson, who and Heather Haynes, who have just worked very hard over the last several years as we develop new entries. Uh, but I also have people around the country and even around the world who have helped in specialist areas. There's a man named Brian Melendez in Minneapolis who contributed a couple of thousand terms relating to parliamentary law. And Fred Shapiro of of New Haven, Connecticut, the librarian at Yale who dated every term in the dictionary uh, for its first known usage in the English language. And Tony Honoré, I, I shouldn't omit him, He's the retired Regius Professor of English Law at Oxford University, who is our specialist in Roman law and in medieval Latin translations. And the amount of work that these people have done is just extraordinary. But in addition to them, I have a panel of about 100 academic contributors from law schools around the country and about 200 practitioner contributors around the country who do extraordinary work in reviewing. Uh, What I do is I send them batches of 50 pages apiece. A typical example would be Christopher Camardello, a litigator, a partner at a firm in Minneapolis, Minnesota, who carefully marked up and re-researched about 50 straight pages of the book. So the book goes through many levels of review. And for A 2,000-page reference book of this kind, it is simply much more than one human mind could ever hold. So you really need the help of lots of minds, but I have about 300 all told.
2: And now Black's Dictionary is available online, and you can even get it as an app on the phone. It costs a little bit, but uh, how are you finding the competition in the legal technology world?
0: Well, the app for Blacks is just tremendous. I use it a little bit on my iPad. I probably should use it more. I'm I'm still very much wedded to paper. I like paper books. I like most of my research is done the old-fashioned way. Although, of course, online searching can be helpful as well for knowing the frequency of terms and a source like Google Books is enormously helpful, but we do a lot of our research the old-fashioned way. We look at the most reliable, sturdy treatises that were written over the years. But I'm, I'm very fortunate that Thomson Reuters has created a first-rate app for Black's Law Dictionary, and it's uh, very robust. Law students often prefer it, but a lot, a lot of law students buy the big paper edition as well as, as the app so that you can easily refer to the book when you need it.
2: It was the very first book I bought when I went to law school, and i got to tell you for the first two weeks, three weeks, months of law school, all I did was read cases and then turn to Black's Law Dictionary to try and understand what it was I was reading. It's a phenomenal resource, for, uh, especially for young lawyers trying to learn in law school what it is.
0: Well, thank you. That's a, you know, that's a good habit, that habit of, when you're reading law, of looking terms up and acquiring the dictionary habit Uh, the more successful law students uh, tend to do that.
2: I was curious what you thought about the Google Book Project, scanning in everyone's books, uh, mine included and I'm sure yours, um, and then making it available to the public.
0: I think that it's a tremendous service to the uh, scholarly community. And I know there are arguments about this, and I know that some of my publishers, I think I have five of them, some of my publishers have taken a stand against it. And I should also declare that the Google Corporation, the in-house lawyers at Google are a client of mine and I do training for Google. So I can't be totally disinterested, but I, I even if that weren't the case, I think I could say they have made available everything in the public domain before I think 1925, 1926 perhaps, but if you want to know historical materials, if you want access to them, you can now use Google Books and have the entire library at your fingertips in a way that was simply undreamt of in in previous generations. That is a great shortcut for any scholar to get into the literature. Now, typically what I will do is, is then go find the book once I... Once I have the citation, I'll get the book. Uh, but I think it's, it's an amazing service to humankind. Now, if it's a more recent thing that is protected by copyright, what I typically find on Google Books is it, will, is it will give me only a snippet. But I'm able to conduct research so that if Google Books tells me there's a discussion, I get a bit of the passage from a modern book. What I do is go on to Amazon immediately, buy the book, and I have the source at my disposal. So I don't see that it is somehow curbing sales. I think it's a a great thing for book publishers and scholars because it leads people, at least it leads me, to buy books that I wouldn't otherwise even know about.
3: Brian, stay with us. We have to take a short break. We will be back in just a moment with more from Brian Garner talking about the 10th edition of Black's Law Dictionary.
1: Hi, my name is Kay Kenny from Legal Talk Network and I'm joined by Jack Newton, president of Clio. Jack takes a look at the process of moving to the cloud. Now, how long does it take to move to the cloud and is it a difficult process?
2: No, with most cloud computing providers, moving your data into the cloud is something that takes just minutes, not hours or days to do. You can get signed up and running with most services in just a few minutes.
0: That's G-O-C-L-I-O
2: Well, welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer. I'm Craig Williams, and with us today is Professor Brian Garner of Black's Law Dictionary. Well, Professor Garner, you've talked about the app and using uh, Google to do some research. How would you recommend that Lawyers in the country, judges, law students, what would you say to them about how they should be using Black's Law Dictionary? I mean, here's your chance, the editor of the book, to tell everybody that reads it and uses it how to
0: do it. Well, we've tried to make it very intuitive. It's, of course, alphabetically arranged. I think it is fair to say this is the most exhaustive dictionary of law ever produced, probably in any language, but certainly in the English language. And it covers not only American law but uh, to a great degree, English law, Australian law, and even Scots law. Within American law, it has unprecedented coverage for Louisiana law, as well as variations among the states. The thing to know about a dictionary is that its reliability and the scholarship that underlies it are very important aspects of it, and merely... I think, as most people know, merely Googling something, uh, you can always find a site that has maybe some material that somebody scanned in that was in the public domain that is older material, but it's of questionable reliability frequently. We have gone to great pains, all 300 lawyers and law professors involved in the production of this text Gone to great pains to be sure that it is current as of two thousand and fourteen that it includes more accurate and more historical materials than any other uh, similar resource and we quote from more than a thousand treatises throughout the book treatises that are otherwise varied it would be very difficult to find the the particular passages that we say are the classical discussions of this or that term often from Blackstone, uh, often from treatise writers in the 19th century and 20th century, whose work would simply be inaccessible and lost to history if we weren't identifying these passages as being particularly important to illustrate and explain the meaning of terms.
3: I read that in this forthcoming uh, edition, you've identified a thousand new Latin maxims and added them to the book. Uh, you, you talked earlier about the lexicography work of Fred Shapiro in researching the origins and the derivations of a lot of the terms in here. And I, I think for for a lot of lawyers out there, I, I wonder if they question whether they they need, need to know all that. I mean, what is the the value of compiling all that lexicographic information about language, the language of the law? What's the importance of that to the average lawyer out there uh, working in the trenches every day?
0: Well, lawyers do only two things for a living, speak persuasively and write persuasively. Lawyers are expected to be exact in their use of terminology. The better ones certainly are there are some who will not see the relevance of Black's Law Dictionary. I mean, I can't reach everyone, and I know that. There are people who say, I don't really have any interest in in legal history. I have no interest in these terms that are beyond my own practice. And that kind of anti-intellectualism, I'm willing to just write off and say, okay, it exists. There are going to be a few people like that. I think most people are intellectually a little more ambitious than that. And are interested in history and are interested in acquiring knowledge and one of the easiest and best ways to acquire knowledge in any field whether it's lexicography generally it might be one of the merriam-webster dictionaries or the great oxford english dictionary if it's law then of course it's going to be black's law dictionary but you would expect that people whose stock and trade is the english language and who are expected to make fine distinctions, to know how to use terms precisely. And the only way to have that skill, really, is to have spent some time with dictionaries, with good ones, and to have an active curiosity about words.
3: Then how does this uh, edition? handle citations. I know when you took over, uh, I think, with the seventh edition, you I think you eliminated many of the citations uh, that had been included in, in earlier editions, uh, that definitions included multiple citations sometimes within a definition. And that's evolved a little bit over the few editions that you've been editor. So how is that being handled uh, in this 10th
0: edition? Well, we have several thousand citations in the book, but what you're referring to were a lot of the definitions that were simply not works of lexicography at all. But for a time in the mid-20th century, many of the entries of blacks were just taken directly from cases. It could be the West Virginia Court of Appeals, or it could be the Oregon Supreme Court, or it could be the Wyoming Supreme Court. And often the definitions were not great, and often they were only marginally really about law. So maybe a court – I think it was a Wyoming Supreme Court decision defined the term hotel. Well, hotel is not really a legal term, but it was in a case. I don't think that needs to be in Black's Law Dictionary, nor does the phrase Boston Cream Pie, which was (laughs) in Black's for a while. So I'm looking at one page right now of the 10th edition, which has two quotations to the United States Supreme Court. Page eight thirty seven, Moncastigar hearing and on cell hearing, different kinds of hearings in criminal law. I have cited a lot of United States Supreme Court opinions, more than ever before, because they are of general interest around the country as opposed to something that's very regional, a Kansas Court of Appeals decision or something like that. Especially from nineteen 19- 22 that may have limited applicability to modern law. So I didn't want to just bulk up the book with citations to old local law cases that didn't have any particular merit to practitioners around the country. The idea is to make it of general applicability of uh, the most important cases, especially from the U.S. Supreme Court. And if something is Specific to a jurisdiction, we sometimes do quote the California Supreme Court or the Texas Supreme Court, but the idea is not to lard up the book with a lot of numerical pollution. that's just not very helpful.
2: You have spoken widely about legal writing, and in fact, you've published many very excellent guides of it. Here's your opportunity to address some of the judges around our country, and I'm thinking of one in particular who uses books, I think, from the that there's a dictionary called the Dictionary for Highly Literate People. What would you say to a person who writes court opinions in, in words that you have to look up every other word to understand what it means?
0: <laughs> well, I don't think I know what you're talking about. You know, but I think it's great to have a big vocabulary. I fell in love with dictionaries when I was a teenager and the English vocabulary is enormous, far more enormous than most people realize and most people don't have nearly the vocabulary that they might. But merely to use terms in a show offy way is fairly silly. There is one judge who never talks about examination but will always refer to perscrutation and things like that using words, resurrecting words from the Oxford English Dictionary that really have not been used for several hundred years. And that's kind of a preposterous, ostentatious style. So I don't recommend it. But, you know, some people say, why do I... One of my books is called Legal Writing in Plain English. And I am a major plain English advocate. I mean, I promote that. I have a great entry in Black's Law Dictionary for Plain Language Movement and for plain English. But I've added all kinds of Latin terms into the dictionary. It's not that they are recommended for use. The purpose of a dictionary like Black's is that if somebody is reading an old text and wants to find out what does this Latin phrase mean, they ought to have an authoritative answer, and Black's will give that. But it's not necessarily a recommendation to use a lot of arcane terminology.
2: Are you going to take the words hereby, where to, for, hereafter, and similar ilk out of Black's Law Dictionary?
0: No, I'm not. But I will say things like, let's see, herewith, I may call it, what do I say about herewith, hereunto, I have hereto, which means to this document, Heretofore, hereunder, hereunto, hereupon, herewith. I will tell you, Even though I've written usage books in which I can be pretty prescriptive, Black's Law Dictionary has to be a descriptive dictionary. And I don't make value judgments explicitly in the book. I will label certain terms slang, but I'm trying to give the best definitions I can. There may be an implicit warning in an entry, for example, the definition of the word shall, There are many, what, five or six different meanings of shall, and it is a word that drafters need to be very careful about, otherwise they create ambiguities. But to a great degree, Black's Law Dictionary is purely descriptive. It has to marshal and explain the legal vocabulary in full, uh, and as much as possible without value judgments from the editor. I also have a book called Garner's Dictionary of Legal Usage, which is a 1,000-page book on English usage published by Oxford University Press, and that book is full of value judgments precisely because it is a book of usage, what is preferred, what is not preferred. That stuff is kind of implicit in blacks. If, for example, the main term is, well, you used, is it lexicographic or is it lexicographical a moment ago? Not that that would be in Black's Law Dictionary, but a prescriptive book would say lexicographic is the general term and is preferred over lexicographical. And that would be a value judgment that is appropriate to a usage book, but not so much to a, an unabridged dictionary of the kind that Black's is.
3: Well, and as a side note, I should mention on this, as we're talking about plain English, that we owe you a debt of gratitude for also putting the rules of golf into plain English. And that's recently come out in an app, so you can now have on your iPhone and iTunes uh, and iPad, rather, the rules of golf in plain
0: English. That's right. That was one one of the best projects (laughs) I think I ever undertook. With a wonderful co-author named Jeffrey Kuhn, we rewrote the rules of golf, which are largely in gobbledygook and put them, translated them into plain English. It was a very arduous project, but a very rewarding one. Yeah.
3: Hackers everywhere are indebted to you.
2: Have you thought about taking on Robert's Rules of Order?
0: Well, life is short. <laughs> life is short. You, you have to pick and choose what your, what your projects are going to be. And I'm, I'm a lifelong golfer. used to play a lot of competitive golf. And I'm not particularly a parliamentarian.
3: Brian so I know we're getting close to the end of the show. What what's what most stands out to you about this 10th edition? What are you most proud of uh having done in this 10th edition?
0: Well, it's the most handsome uh edition that has come out yet. I think the page design is it's beautiful, the way the subentries are are laid out. The fullness of the book is it's uh, somewhat astonishing. I'm actually looking this morning at my very first copy it just arrived. an advanced copy from my publisher, and at 2,000 pages with a very full bibliography, it's quite some fun to browse through, Uh, probably mostly for me, but I think, you know, even a really good dictionary that I haven't compiled, I enjoy browsing through a really good dictionary because you just learn so much, and the sweep of history contained in these 2,000 pages from Roman times, and even ancient Greece. There are a few legal terms that modern writers have borrowed from ancient Greece. But, of course, the bias is toward modernity and 20th century law, certainly American law. But if you want to know English legal history in terms of legal terminology, I think there's no better source than, than Black's Law Dictionary. And I'm, I think it's a book that will stand up for... A very long time
2: brian what word tickles you the most in the dictionary
0: wow it's a tough one there is this arcane little word boat b-o-t-e and there it has a number of different meanings it's an anglo-saxon term this shouldn't be so sexy but it can be a tax it can also be a privilege to use anything that's needed for subsistence or repair it can also be compensation for an injury. And a couple of months ago, before we went to print, I was able to sort out all the different kinds of boat, and there are a number of subentries in different categories, and I believe I solved a little intellectual problem that even the editors of the Oxford English Dictionary had mangled. And so I think it's, it's one of the better entries in the in the book from a historical perspective. It probably doesn't mean a lot to anybody except legal historians, but I can tell you it is a pleasure again and again to sort out these little historical legal puzzles and to be the first ever to record a legal term that's never been in a dictionary or encyclopedia before is quite exciting.
2: Well, it certainly is, and we're definitely looking forward to getting it. And Bob, it's about time you upgraded from the seventh edition.
0: I think it is.
3: And uh, on May 9th, I'll be able to do that. Listeners will be able to find out more about Black's Law Dictionary uh, from Thomson Reuters' website, the uh, publisher of the book. And, Brian, do you have any uh, final thoughts on, on this that you'd like to leave us with before we wrap up today's program?
0: I have one final, I have one final thought. You, one of you introduced me earlier or mentioned me as Professor Brian Garner of Black's Law Dictionary, and that's true but my dean at Southern Methodist University would not forgive me if this podcast ended and we didn't say that I uh, I do hold a title. They give me a fancy title at Southern Methodist University. They call me Distinguished Research Professor of Law. So I have to mention SMU. And I also have a blog at org for those who are interested. And we send out a word of the day, a law word of the day on our blog and a lot of terminological and and writing advice every single day.
3: And I know you're on Twitter as well. What's your handle on Twitter?
0: Well, I do enjoy tweeting. I'm Brian A. Garner, at Brian A. Garner, whatever the ad sign is. Do you say at Brian A. Garner? Uh,
2: yeah, yeah, it's sure. kind of like Prince's thing. You know, you don't really know what to say it, but you pretty much have to say it. I think that's right.
3: I think we're supposed to be asking you the usage question, but that's <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> it's been a great pleasure talking with you both today. Well, thanks a lot for taking the time.
2: Well, Brian, if our listeners wanted to reach out and get a hold of you, how would they do that?
0: Well, I'm easy to find, but my email goes directly to me as uh, bgarner at lawprose, L-A-W-P-R-O-S-E dot org.
2: Well, thank you very much for being with us today. I really appreciate it. Wonderful.
0: Great. Thank you.
2: And, Bob, that brings us to the end of our show. I'm Craig Williams. And uh, this is Bob Ambrogi. Thanks for listening. Join us next time for another great legal topic. When you want legal, think lawyer to lawyer.
1: Thanks for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer, produced by the broadcast professionals at Legal Talk Network. Join J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrosi for their next podcast, covering the latest legal topic. Subscribe to the RSS feed on LegalTalkNetwork.com or in iTunes.